Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 three. Oh my, how the months have gone by. It's enough to make you wonder. Black History Month is almost over. The days are getting longer. So let's reflect and ponder on the things that last. Let's talk about it on Backlook Cinema, the podcast. My name is Zoe, that's spelled Z to the O or Z-O if you're outside of the U.S. It's the 131. I should say that this way. It's the 131st episode. Thank you for downloading or streaming. We really appreciate it. We watched the movies of yesteryears that I love when I was growing up on the latter half of the 1900s. If you like what you're about to hear, then please tell your family, tell your friends, and tell that naive rookie cop walking your block about Backlick Cinema, the podcast. So, this episode, we will not be having a guest. We we have uh, no guest this episode. And uh, I had planned for a guest, kind of trying to uh, do some last minute uh, scheduling. But, you know, scheduling last minute don't don't always work out. But um, as we alluded to, we are going to go ahead and talk about some of the things that last. And one of the things that lasts are uh, really good movies. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. Normally, as I said in a sort of intro, that I like to talk about the movies from um, uh, the latter half of the 1900s, so the latter half of the 20th century. But on this particular movie, I'm going to, since I don't have a guest and I didn't have anybody choose a movie, and I didn't want to pull from the grand list of movies. And there are certain movies that I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about it myself. So I, so instead, uh, I, I chose a movie that came out in 2001 and a movie that I really enjoy talking about. And I don't mind talking about it myself. And also I wanted to pay homage to black history month. I didn't have a movie, uh, in, in the first, episode of Black History Month. I'm not normally cognizant of the time when I am recording episodes, especially since I'm recording it. Like, by the time you hear this, I've recorded this two weeks ago. So (laughs) trying to think about the time that I record and the time that episodes get released, it's kind of hard to figure out what what should be topical and whatnot. But I did want to... highlight a a film uh at least one film for black history month so uh that film since i don't have a guest because if i had a guest it would have been a totally different movie and (laughs) and there would have been no acknowledgement but since i don't have a guest i'm going to take time to acknowledge the month so um the movie that i watched that i want to talk about is training day and we're going to talk about that in the opening credits Rookie officer Jake Hoyt of the LAPD wants to put his career on the fast track. To do this, he applies to be in an elite narcotics unit. If he can have a successful tenure in this unit, then he'll make detective in no time. Today is his training day, and this unit's lead detective, Alonzo Harris, is showing him the ropes, but the training goes far beyond what Officer Hoyt was expecting. The black and white morality that Hoyt grew up with turns into shades of gray, and Detective Harris is not the man that Hoyt expected him to be. 
So this movie, Training Day, was released October 5th, 2001, produced by Warner Brothers, Village Roadshow Pictures, NPV Entertainment. It grossed over $76 million in the U.S. and Canada and $123 million worldwide on a reported budget of $45 million. Now, I would call that a modest success. It's not a runaway blockbuster, and it kind of needed the international market to go over because uh, on a budget of $76 million, uh, the, the gross for the U.S. and Canada um, was $76 million and the budget was $45 million. So that's not going to do it uh, in just the U.S. and Canada alone. It kind of needed the international market to, to pull it over. So I would I would call this a modest hit, but it's definitely one of my favorite movies. Uh, one of the reasons I picked this movie is that it was the first movie that I ever watched on DVD. This is when DVDs were brand new. So this is way before Blue Way. This is before, uh, this is like the crown successor of the VHS. They were, they were competing. There was like the VHS. And then um, my actually, even uh, in the VHS era, in, in the tape era, there was a, a com- another competing format called Betamax. So the VHS competed against Betamax and VHS one. And then there was a, a basically an era where just the VHS was just dominating. Some people want to slip in the laser disc. So like, well, the laser disc was a contender. No, let me tell you something. The laser disc was not a contender. And the reason that the laser disc was not a contender is because laser disc players were expensive. And I'm not exactly sure how expensive the laser discs themselves were, but uh, most people, I mean, DVD, not DVD, yeah, DVD players. No, not DVD players. I'm sorry. Uh, VHS re- recorders, re- VHS recorders and players, they, they were already expensive, right? So, um, and if you imagine uh, a laser disc was like many times more expensive than your average VHS player. And they were developed at about the same time. And and the other thing, see, and, and uh, what people don't understand is that when you are creating a, a media format, you're not just competing for audiences to accept your format. You're also competing with the studios, the, the creators of the content to put their content on your format. So the and and the studio wants more than anything as many people as possible to watch their art and the the, uh, the laser disc wouldn't allow that it wouldn't allow as many people as possible to watch the the work that was put out by the studios so therefore therefore we got a situation where the um the VHS basically was dominant for a long time and then um, then the DVD players started, the DVD started to come out, the DVD players started to come out and, you know, just like any new technology it was going to be expensive. So it took a while, but I finally was able to get a DVD player. And, um, I think that I rented training day. I don't even think I bought it. So I rented training day cause I wanted to see what a DVD looks like. And it was, it changed everything. It seems it's like the first time you watched uh, a Blu-ray disc or the first time you watch anything in HD. It kind of changed your perspective on on or your perspective on what movies could look like and sound like in, in some cases. So this is the first movie that I watched. And also the main character is Alonzo. And that's fascinating because I didn't watch this in theaters. So I didn't realize I didn't know. I just knew that it, 
people thought it was a good movie and I didn't know much about it. But the main character's name is Alonzo. I was like, wow, this is so awesome because <laughs> my name is is rare. And there aren't many people, especially non-Hispanic people with, with my name. And the other thing about it is that when you meet, most people assume that Alonzo is Hispanic, and it sort of is. If you spell Alonso with an S, then that is Hispanic. Alonzo with a Z is Italian, and so um, that you know that's a, that's a whole different conversation. But anyways, uh, so a lot of people see the name, they assume that um, either Hispanic in some way or that uh, I don't know, um, just that 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 I'm Hispanic in some way. But in anyways. Um, Moving right along, I was fascinated that the character had the same name as I had because, like I said, my name is her. The only other person with my name was a basketball player named Alonzo Mourning, who was extremely popular at the time. And I guess he had like a, a high scoring average. I don't know sports. I was just grateful that he came on the scene because uh, a lot of people would mispronounce my name. And then when Alonzo Mourning became prominent, people didn't have that much of a problem with my name anymore. I imagine that if they had a Starbucks near where I lived and they wrote my name on a cup. They they would know how to write and spell my name because Alonzo Mourning was prominent. But it, after he faded uh, and after training day faded, you know, my, my name basically went back into obscurity and people went to misspelling and mispronouncing my name. So uh, it that's it's a strange reason for a movie to be near and dear a person's heart. But that's one of my reasons. <laughs> I don't know when there'll ever be another Alonzo on film, and but I look forward to it. So this movie was starring... Oh, before, before I get to who was starring in the movie, let me adjust the profit for inflation. So as I said, um, so this, this movie came out in 2001. So if we adjust for inflation, that would be like the movie grossing over 130 million dollars in the US and Canada if it came out today and or 2023. Uh, the the inflation calculator that I use hasn't updated yet. <laughs> um so if it came out uh if it came out in late 2023 the um the worldwide gross would be 211 million dollars and the budget would have been 77 million dollars. So um yeah, that's that's what that looks like. Like I said, it's a modest hit, and like if it came out today, a modest hit, but it was a fantastic movie. So this movie stars Denzel Washington as Detective Alonzo Harris. You may have seen him in Fences, The Book of Eli, Antoine Fisher, and here's the thing: he just does good movies. It, it's amazing how he can be in so many good movies. Yes, he has been in, uh, uh, you know, a few movies that have not lived up to our our expectations. So most recently, Equalizer 3, a lot of people didn't like that movie or didn't, li- didn't live up to their expectations. I, I low-key kind of liked it. I, <laughs> there are a lot of people that didn't like the last part of the the film where he killed the last bad guy, but I sort of like that part. That that was funny to me, but uh, uh, for a lot of people, it 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 wasn't. It didn't give them what they wanted, and and I can respect that. But um, f- but for the most part, like 
Antoine Fisher, for example, I that's like a movie I forgot about, and it was uh, apparently because I didn't see it, but apparently it was it was an outstanding movie, and The Book of Eli, one of my favorite movies. Denzel Washington is just in a lot of my favorite movies, and. With his Best Actor Oscar win for this film, Denzel Washington became the first Black actor to win two Acting Academy Awards. So, yeah, that's that, that's pretty deep. Up next is Ethan Hawke. He played Officer Jake Hoyt. And you may have seen him in Before Sunrise, Glass Onion, and The Northman. He, he's also been in a lot of great movies. And uh, it's always a delight to see him on film. He's, he's always bringing something different to the table. So uh, he, he's he's good peoples. Next is uh, Scott Glenn. I almost said Glenn Scott for some reason, but next, and I, I've talked about Scott Glenn on this podcast at least a couple of times. And I always want to say Glenn Scott whenever I see the name, but his name is Scott Glenn. And he plays Roger. He's been in The Hunt for the Red October. Oh, I was, I'm... I'm saying the movie wrong, and it's written wrong in the podcast description. It's called the movie is called The Hunt for Red October. There's there's no the there, and that trips me up every time. I think for most of my life, I I said the twice, but it's just The Hunt for Red October, and you can find that in episode two of this podcast. He's also been in The Born Legacy and The Silence of the Lambs, and we talked about that in episode fifty four. Also. Uh, incredible actor all, always brings a kind of intensity to the role. Next is Tom Berenger. Uh, I, gu- I guess you would call this cameo appearance, I guess. He's, he uh, plays D.A. Stan Gursky. You may have seen him in Platoon, Inception, and Major League. He, he's, uh, he was a star of that movie. He's a fantastic actor. He's been in some, some of my there, there's this one movie that I, I, I watched that he was in that, that was really awesome uh, called, uh, I think it's called Rustler's Rhapsody. It, I can't remember exactly. It was it was a com- comedic Cabo movie. And ever since I've seen that movie, I always thought of him as being just really good at his craft. <laughs> Up next is Harris Eulin. He played Detective Doug Rosselli. You may have seen him in Clear and Present Danger. Scarface or Murder at 1600. Raymond J. Berry played Captain Lou Jacobs. Uh, you may have seen him in The Ref, Falling Down, Walk Hard, The Dewey, uh, the Dewey Cox Story. Uh, that was difficult to say for some reason. And I, I didn't see any of those. And I, and I want to. Like, I, I want to see all three of those movies. <laughs> like, with with the ones that I read uh, with uh, Harris Eulin, when I Clear and Present, Dangerous, Scarface, Murder, 1600, I've watched those, but I didn't see, I haven't seen The Ref Falling Down or Walk Hard, so I need to get to work on it. Cliff Curtis plays Smiley. You may have seen him in Risen. God, let me see, let me see if I can say this. Sunshine or The Dark Horse. And uh, Dr. Dre. A man not known for his movies. He played Officer Paul, and he's been in The Wash. Not not exactly uh, a movie star <laughs> or an actor by any stretch. And and this is 
you know, not not a he's not particularly good at it. Uh, this is more like stunt casting, and that's fine because, like many movies, this movie uh, was directed by a person who cut his teeth in music videos. Snoop Dogg plays Blue, or played Blue. He was in Baby Boy, Starsky and Hutch, and most recently, The Underdogs. Now, Snoop Dogg, by contrast, is, I think we can call him a legitimate actor by now. He's, I feel like he's been in enough projects. He's been in enough movies and TV shows. He's, he actually stars in The Underdog. He's played some significant roles in other, uh, in other projects. We can safely say that by now he's, a, he's an actor. Macy Gray plays Sandman's wife. Um, did not get a name, unfortunately. <laughs> She's also been in Domino, The Paperboy, and Real Talk. I haven't really seen much of anything that she's been in outside of this movie, but she was real good in this movie. A very early project for Eva Mendez. She plays Sarah. She's also been in The Other Guys. I loved her in that movie, and I love that movie. Hitch and The Place Beyond the Pines. Nick Chinlund plays Officer Tim. You may have seen him in The Chronicles of Riddick or Conair that we covered in Episode 6. Jamie Gomez plays Officer Mark. He's also been in Crimson Tide and Clear and Present Danger. Oh my, where have I heard that before? I also saw those movies. Raymond Cruz plays Sniper. You may have seen him in Alien, Resurre- Alien Resurrection that we covered in Episode 124. I actually talked about him because... He plays, he's either playing, like, I usually see him as, like, a military-type person, but I think also you might see him as a, some kind of gang member. He, he's, he basically has two types. Uh, he's also been in Underseas, and where he plays his military-type character. Now, uh, what's funny about Raymond Cruz is that, uh, as the military-type, you know, he seems, he, he's every bit, like, the, the, the good soldier, that that you would expect like he follows all of the the uh soldier tropes but when he's playing something else like a gang member he's absolutely terrifying he's like he's a completely different person and he was terrifying in this movie and finally we have noel googly me oh shoot did i mess this name up probably uh, i'm going to try it one more time noel googly me that's that's the best that I can do. I'm so sorry. Uh, he plays Marino. He's been in The Fast and the Furious and Street uh, Street Kings. This movie was directed by Antoine Fuqua. He's also directed The Magnificent Seven, The Equalizer, Southpaw, Olympus Has Fallen, and King Arthur. What's interesting about this is that he has directed a lot of really good films, and being a black director, he's he doesn't limit himself to just doing black films. He'll just do almost any type of movie. And that's that's pretty you uh I don't know how unique that is cuz it's not a lot of black directors in Hollywood to begin with and even fewer that reach up to the the heights that Antoine Fuqua has. And a lot of his movies do feature black actors and co-stars and such. But um, he's he's done a lot of what people would call mainstream movies, like Olympus Has Fallen. People would call that a mainstream movie or Southpaw. 
uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, that that's that's not like aimed or targeted at the black audience. So that's one of the unique things about him. I mean, it's a shame that we do need people to uh, think about and focus on the the and target black audiences uh, that they can't be free to do. Uh, just any kind of film, but you know, the, with the way the Hollywood is, and the the way that it's hard to get opportunities, and and that type of system, and it's it's hard to get, uh, it's hard to be seen or feel like uh like as a person that you can't your perspective can't be reflected in mainstream art. That's it, it's it's a thing to think about. Let, let's put it that way. It's something to consider. And then up next, this was written by David Ayer. David Ayer was the only writer to work on the script, such a rarity that it merited a congratulatory call from the chairman of Warner Brothers Pictures. That is an incredible feat. He's also written The Fast and the Furious, SWAT, End of Watch, Fury, and most, I guess, infamously, Infamously, uh, he wrote and directed Suicide Squad. Uh, he's gotten to uh, directing, and a lot of his work is pretty good. He's recently uh, he's directed The Beekeeper, and I haven't seen it yet, but I want to see it. And I hear that it's a really fun uh, movie, and and that's great. I'm glad he's able to put that work in and and put out some great movies or at least good movies, especially after what happened with Suicide Squad. And I'm I'm not advocating for a David Iyer cut, but I will say that the Suicide uh, not the Suicide Squad, but Suicide Suicide Squad, the first movie, was kind of hampered because it was uh it was edited by the company that edited the trailer, which is not something that's normally done. Right? So <laughs> Um, like I'm not crying for David Erica, but I am saying that I'm suggesting that this film probably wasn't properly edited. So, um, the next category is kind of interesting. It's, um, the music category is basically, uh, it, this movie isn't, it doesn't seem like it, it credits a composer. So the music was by Mark Mancina and, He's credited as music department slash music score co-producer. And so he's responsible for bringing the movie, the music together for the movie, for creating the soundtrack. Uh, at least that's my guess. So he's also um, written original songs for Moana. He was the synthesizer producer for Bad Boys and for some other movies he was the executive in charge of music so movies like rollerball three kings and eraser so not not exactly um uh, a composer but just in charge of the music so that is it for the opening credits and what's still going on is this giveaway that I have for the newsletter if you sign up for the newsletter you have a chance to win the felix the cat emoji t-shirt um by the time you hear this uh this episode this giveaway will pretty much be over and then i will uh go into the what do you call it put all the all of the emails in a hat or 
a container, a vessel of some type, and I will swirl my hands around it, and I will pick out uh, a slip of paper, and the email on that slip of paper will be the email that wins this shirt. And then I'll, I'll write an email saying, congratulations, you won a shirt. Please send me your your physical address, your, your um, what do you call that, your home address or P.O. box, and, and then I will send the shirt out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, good luck to whoever wins, uh, to all of those who entered. You still have time. You still have a couple of days, but good luck to all of those who, who have entered. Um, also still doing that 10 a.m. Sunday morning snap on Twitch. Uh, today I'm recording on Sunday. And so I did that Twitch stream earlier today. And I'm just having fun playing the game. I'm not even sure if the stream is uh, set up correctly, but I am having fun playing the game. Um, I think I mentioned before that Apple podcast has transcripts now. So if you are listening on that, please enjoy the transcripts. I think I mentioned that I'm on YouTube music and YouTube as an audio only podcast. So that's pretty awesome. There are actually a couple of people that are listening on YouTube and um, one thing that I want to try to do with this podcast is build a community. So there's one thing that I heard on a different podcast called School of Podcasting, and somebody basically called in and they were talking about uh, th- that they were focusing on building a community with their show. And I thought, you know, that's that's what I should be focusing on. It's like I keep referring to the people who listen to the show as an audience, but I really need to think of people who listen, my listeners, as a community, people that I can communicate with, people that I can have discourse with uh, outside of the show and talk about things that are not necessarily have to do with what's going on in the show. But I do want to hear about what your favorite movies are, who your favorite actors are, the type of movies that you'd like to see covered on the show, what your opinion on the past shows were, you know, things of that nature. Let, let's create a discourse online. Let us create a community amongst ourselves. Let's uh, build this movie watcher community. Uh, I don't have a pet name for the listeners and I don't know if I'm clever enough to come up with one, but I I am looking forward to, uh, with this continued creation of this community. So, um, that's it for that part. Uh, the announcements, we're going to talk about our favorite parts. So, this movie has, it just has my heart. It was just so gripping and uh, engaging. I think the, I don't think I even seen this film since the first time I watched it. Uh, and that was like years ago. <laughs> so uh, as much as I love this film, this is only the second time I've uh, watched it. But this film is so much in the zeitgeist of this culture, right? Of mainstream culture. Like, um, it, it's just in there, right? So, uh, it, I don't, excuse me. It's, it's just one of those things that I don't, uh, I don't feel like I have to watch over and over again. Cause I feel like it's always in me. <laughs> so, 
because it's so impactful. It's like uh, it's one of those movies that's so impactful that you don't really need to watch it again. You can give it a break uh, and then watch it like a couple a couple of years later from after the the last time you watched it because it, it there's so many things that are that are embedded just movies that hit you or at least they hit me so hard that uh it, uh it didn't like i felt like i just watched it yesterday uh well i did watch it yesterday or did or recently no i'm well the last time i watched it i felt like i hadn't missed anything like there weren't any in any parts, like when I watch, you know, like sometimes you haven't watched a movie in a long time. Like you haven't watched a movie in 20 years and then you watched it and you're like, you, you'll watch, you'll give it a recent review or a rewatch and you'll see something that you don't remember or you don't, uh, or there's something that you had forgotten. Like, oh, I forgot that guy was in this movie or I've forgotten that this happened in this movie. But I didn't really feel that way when I watched this movie. So, and I, so, uh, that's how embedded it is within me. So one of my favorite parts is I like how the story starts right away. It just, it just starts. It's, it begins with, uh, with offered officer, rookie officer Boyd. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I talked, I talked today. It's not like this is my first time talking. I talked today. So I, I should be, I should be able to talk. Um, Hoyt, I got the name wrong, Officer Jake Hoyt. So we, we open with him getting ready for work. And, and it's kind of a typical type of, you know, getting ready for work kind of scenes. And then uh, he gets a call, he gets a call from his boss. Uh, and I feel like that's where that's where it starts. And it feels like it starts right away. Um, uh, you know, the, the boss wants him to meet up at this uh, this coffee shop or whatever. And um, you get a, I, you don't really hear um, the, like, what happens is that uh, he picks up, Hoyt picks up the phone and he's talking to his boss and you don't hear what his boss is saying, but you kind of get a sense of who the boss is, even though you don't hear that end of the conversation. And um, Boyd is doing his best to say the things that will impress his boss. And during the conversation uh, of, uh, you know, Hoyt assuring his boss that, you know, he's on his way. He understands what he's supposed to do and he's on his way to meet his boss. You know, the boss hangs up on him, right? Because, <laughs> because it's like he's, uh, his boss is directly to the point and, you know, he's, he's not really much for small talk. And that's kind of expressed like kind of, throughout the movie that uh his boss is not that he he's not really the type for chit chat at least for people who he's not familiar with so he meets this uh brash and impatient boss his boss is detective alonzo harris alonzo harris runs this like super elite narcotics detective slash undercover unit and um so Boyd wants to get in this unit because he knows that if he can get in this unit and he, he has a good showing while he's there in this super elite unit, then when he gets out of the unit, then he can get transferred to like a more prestigious position. Like he doesn't want to be a beat cop. He wants to, he wants to be a super cop. He wants you know, like higher pay. He wants to be able to command a unit, right? He that's That's what he wants. So he thinks that going into this elite unit will be his avenue to uh 
advancement in the LAPD. That that's what he's going for. And, you know, we all want to advance on our work, don't we? So Alonzo is impatient. He doesn't want to deal with Boyd's I, I don't know, uh chumminess, right? <laughs> Boyd is trying to be all chummy and Alonzo isn't having that. So there's a scene in in the shop where they they've met at and Boyd is trying to create small talk, you know, to, you know, to, to create some camar <laughs> I can't speak anymore. Camar I still can't do it. Camaraderie. That's the word I was trying to say. Trying to create some camaraderie between himself and his new boss. And the boss is trying to read the newspaper. Alonzo is like, Alonzo essentially gives up on his newspaper. <laughs> And he says, all right, tell me a story. <laughs> and so that that was a great scene. I love that scene in the coffee shop because of the way it establishes both characters and the the way that it, it showed that uh Alonzo just isn't putting up with um he he doesn't he doesn't have really a patience for the 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 newness that Boyd represents. He doesn't have the patience to, not necessarily the patience to deal with this brand new officer, but he needs this officer to fill this unit so that he's he's putting up with it in that way. At the same time, he has to teach this rookie uh, the ropes uh, of how to exist in this new world that the rookie is in. And... Uh, I think what was also interesting about that scene is like, this is a, a scene before, this is a movie before smartphones, obviously. So when in a, in a situation like that, if you're eating with your boss and the boss doesn't want to talk to you, then you would probably just take out your phone and start playing with it. You know, read a news story, play a game, uh, watch a video or whatever. You would, you would have something to occupy your time. But in this time, you're sitting with someone, you want to make conversation, that person doesn't want to talk to you. So you're basically, you're just sitting there in silence. Then uh, it, it's kind of, if it was for somebody who wants to talk, that, that can be kind of unnerving or whatever. So that was, that was interesting how that, play, how that scene played out where Alonzo is just kind of trying to read the newspaper and Boyd is kind of just fidgety because he He's sitting with his boss and he can't really talk to his boss. So that was interesting. So this continues or transitions into the car scene. I feel like this is this whole uh, series of actions is kind of like one, one set piece for me. It kind of traditions to the car scene. And um, that, that car scene is like peak Denzel Washington, especially Denzel Washington as a bad cop. It, it's just... The car scene is, is pretty outstanding. So uh, I meant to look up what kind of car it was. It, it was a Monte Carlo. It looked like it was like a 1972 Monte Carlo or something like that. And it, apparently it was uh, a comp, uh, confiscated. It was a car that was probably confiscated from gang members because it had the, uh, uh, I don't even know what it's called. It, it had it had the things where where the car is jacked up on hydraulics, so that that's what makes me think that it, it was probably a a confiscated vehicle from 
from the gang bust or whatever. Or or maybe it he had stolen money from the gangs and modified his car <laughs> or some or something of that nature. <laughs> uh it this uh the the scene with Denzel Washington in a in a car, it definitely establishes him as the bad cop and not an anti-hero because like when you first see him, he's kind of you may think that, oh, okay, he's kind of like an anti-hero. So we're, we're going to have an anti-hero cop and newbie, um, wet-behind-the-ears rookie cop dynamic. But no, in, in the first car scene, he he actually kind of established that he is a bad cop and <laughs> and he is not an anti-hero. Like, if you don't know from this first car scene that this dude is a bad cop, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening later on in the movie. So um I'm 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 putting all that as my first favorite part. All, all of that is jump cuz it they all feel close together. So all of that I feel like is my my favorite part. Um my next favorite part is how Ethan fights the he he fights the rapers. So there's so um this is kind of an extension of the car scene, but I'm 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 going to cut this out as my as a different part. So, um, as a result of dealing with a, a really bad cop, <laughs> and the uh, the what's his name, um, Alonzo, that guy, I can't remember my own name, Detective Alonzo Harris, has basically forced uh, Hoyt to take this. Uh, it's marijuana laced with PCP. So Hoyt is kind of high out of his mind. So while he is, uh, the, you know, while he is still high, they're driving in the car and then he kind of sees an altercation. Like he kind of looks out his uh, passenger window. He kind of sees an altercation and then he's like screaming for Alonzo to stop the car. Like he's he's screaming for his boss to stop the cars because he says he, he saw something. So um, reluctantly, Detective Harris stops the car. Hoyt runs out. He runs down the street a little bit, in the street, trying to avoid cars. Runs to this alley where he he had seen the altercation. There's two guys attacking this girl, trying to rape her. And he fights these two guys, and he beats them. He's able to put handcuffs on both of them. And uh, he thinks that they're going to, like, book him downtown, Dano. That's, that's what he thinks. Alonzo eventually, <laughs> Alonzo actually shows up during the fight and he kind of just leans against the wall and fights and not fights, but he leans up against the wall and watches the fight. He watches as his, as his rookie, uh, what do you call it? Applicant is fighting off these two guys and is successful. I mean, and he's impressed, but, um, you know, arresting criminals, arresting like regular criminals isn't isn't what he's there to do. Uh, so he's he's like putting he's putting Hoyt on notice that he's not trying to arrest these dudes because that that's not his favorite thing to do. So he uh, after they make sure that the girl is okay, she's like a fourteen year old, fourteen years old, uh, or or older. Um, she, I think she's in high school. So they make sure she's she's okay and and she walks off and she's like she's gonna get her, you know, cousins to deal with them because you know, she got cousins in the gang or whatever. 
and then what you call it the uh and then that's when alonzo gets the guys up and you know he starts harassing them beating them with pistols and whatnot and <laughs> pointing his guns at at people and pointing pointing his guns at the dude like the dude is uh at some points he uh cuts the what do you call it the restraints away because they're not metal handcuffs they're like twisty ties so he cuts the twisty the twisty ties and points the uh points his guns at the dude's face and then points his guns at the dude's balls like maybe i should blow your balls off and then uh he takes his pistols and he whacks the dude in the nuts with his pistols and then after that he kind of kind of lets them go (laughs) and hoyt is kind of upset about this because it's like you know they're the criminals they're bad guys they were clearly breaking the law why are we not taking them to jail and alonzo was like is you know as far as as long as alonzo is concerned that's not what he does uh my next favorite scene is the scene with snoop dog and that was a lot of fun how they uh so the thing that is alonzo's jam is drug dealers because he's a narcotics officer <laughs> so there's this dude that was dealing on the street he's in a wheelchair he's played by snoop dog and snoop dog plays a dude named blue so um alonzo tells hoyt to go and chase him down to go get him so hoyt has to chase down this dude that's in a wheelchair and goes to the uh the this uh chinese um like convenience store and it's either Chinese, Korean, I don't know which one, whichever one, uh, Alonzo knew enough of the language to basically, basically kind of let the proprietor know that it's a police matter or whatever. It's like just, just a couple of words. I'm, I'm sure he's not fluent in whatever language that that person, the proprietor was screaming about because two men are running through her shop and one of the men happened to be in a wheelchair. Um, so they catch up with, well, Hoyt catches up with with Blue in the wheelchair and um basically is able to subdue him. They're they're kind of like in the in a closet or bathroom or something like that. They're in the doorway to a closet or bathroom. And he's like, you know, he's asking him where the drugs at, where the drugs at. And uh blue was like i ain't got no drugs i ain't got no drugs and then alonzo finally uh you know kind of slowly walking behind he goes into the shop and he finds out finds where hoyt and blue are at and he's like oh you you ain't got no drugs huh like no man i quit that i quit that man i ain't ain't got no drugs and then alonzo acts at acts you know it's the proper word i can use acts alonzo acts hoyt for a pen hoyt gives him a pen Alonzo then shoves the pen down Blue's throat and Blue immediately throws up and then and and you have uh what you call it, whatever I think it was crack or whatever it was that he was selling on the street. And uh, and so um and also like um Hoyt didn't find a gun. Like when he stopped Blue and he searched Blue. He found a pistol, but he didn't find a gun. So Alonzo takes the gun that Hoyt found off of Blue, and he says, "No, you can get twenty years for every for each bullet that's in this gun." And so he starts flicking off bullets, you know, counting off the years that Blue would get. And he wants information from Blue. He wants to know where 
the product came from because he wants the main dealer. He wants Blue to give somebody up. So Blue is obviously resistant, but then uh, Blue doesn't want to go to jail. So he gives up. Hold on. Let me see if I can find this name. He gives up Sandman. So I think Sandman is in jail. And and so, um, but being a narcotics officer, obviously, Alonso knows where to go. So he goes in, in search of Sand or Sandman stuff. <laughs> so, um, so, and they're doing all of this wrong. Like they don't arrest Blue, and they uh, they don't collect evidence. <laughs> and I, th- but I do think they keep Blue's uh, pistol. Um. When he's flicking off the uh, the the bullets, he's flipping flick, flicking it off in the vomit, and so uh, and also the drugs are in the vomit. And he playfully asked Hoyt if he wanted to collect the evidence, and Hoyt was like, "Fuck no, I don't. I don't want to dig into this dude's vomits to pick up the evidence, and you don't want to do it anyway. So I'm not going to be eagerly collecting evidence if you don't want to collect evidence." <laughs> um. So uh, after a while, this kind of leads to my other favorite part. Uh, when they go to Macy Gray's house, I'm going to just call her Macy Gray because the only credit they give her is Sandman's wife. And I think that's an injustice. So <laughs> they go to Macy Gray's house <laughs> and um, they they pretend that they have a warrant. And this is kind of problematic uh, because that none of this is right. None, you, you're not why are we faking a warrant that, but Alonzo is like, you know, we got to do it this way. So he convinces his rookie uh, applicant that they have to go in with this fake warrant. And so they barge into the house. Uh, they, they clear the house. They have uh, Macy Gray and her son kind of sit on the couch. And while they're sitting on the couch, uh, Hoyt is supposed to guard them and keep them from moving or whatever. And, Macy Gray is just kind of needling Hoyt, you know, saying things like, you are, you are a rookie, ain't you? What you going to do? You going to shoot me? Like that's, that was all just fantastic. Meanwhile, Alonzo is in the back, uh, just tossing the place, just tossing the joint and, um, just throwing stuff around, looking, looking everywhere for us, what he claims is evidence. And so things, uh, he, like, Hoyt is barely containing this mother and her son. Like he's, and this is like a small child. He's like five years old. He's not, he's not really causing any problems, but his mom is just like getting agitated. And, uh, and like she might just force Hoyt to shoot her like that. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to instigate Hoyt and knowing that Hoyt's not going to shoot her. Uh, so fine. But just as things start to get out of control, Alonzo says, all right, I didn't find anything. Uh, I apologize. And then they start to leave. And then <laughs> and then she says, let me say that warrant. I'm supposed to get a copy of that warrant. He says, oh, OK. And then he he actually gives her the fake warrant. And then he and Hoyt leaves. And then she looks at it. it it's a Chinese menu. So they didn't even go to the trouble of trying to like create some fake documents. He just got a Chinese menu and folded it up to make it look like official documents. 
and then gave it to her just before he left. And then she go out screaming, they ain't no police. They ain't no police. They stole my money. They stole my money. And so they in a, they in a drug neighborhood. They, they in a gang neighborhood. So all the dudes start coming out, start uh, chasing them down. They get in the car. They start driving off. And the gang starts shooting at them. They start shooting back, but they get away. And uh, that was that was a fun that was just a trippy part that was just all trippy like <laughs> something about that was not right but it's like detective alonzo harris is so charismatic that he almost convinces you that what he's doing things the right way so um hold on a second i right, just make sure that everything is copacetic so those, those are four of my favorite parts and uh this is my last favorite part so this is basically the climax of the movie. Uh, this is after, um, so, so it, a lot of things happen that kind of lead up to the climax. So one of the things that lead up, and then I kind of skipped over the part where Alonzo basically double crosses one of the people that he, uh, it's like a criminal that he's friendly with and he kind of double crosses this criminal and apparently this criminal is prominent enough that he actually has to get permission from uh, people who he refers to as the three wise men. So this very important, uh, so a DA, um, a very important detective and a very important police captain, he has to get their permission to engage and to arrest this apparently very important criminal. And the other thing about it is that he actually has to bribe them to get uh a warrant, like a proper warrant, like a real warrant signed by a judge. So in order to bribe them, he had to steal money from Macy Gray. So when he was tossed in the apartment, he had found what he was looking for. And it was just a bunch of money, like $40,000. He had found that money uh, and he stuck it in his pants. And then that's the money that he used to bribe the three wise men to get the um, the money that well to basically uh engage in police action against um against this very important criminal that criminal happens to be uh Glenn Scott who played Roger mm-hmm. uh, Roger was like I don't know why he's important but but he he's so important that he can't you can't just go and arrest him you need like permission to arrest him so Alonzo takes his whole unit. They go and they engage in police action. And what they're really looking for is what they're calling, what what uh, Roger calls his retirement pension. It's, it's not really a pension. It's really just money that he stashed away from his drug days. He plans on, you know, like leaving the country and retiring in the Philippines or whatever. And he has enough money to live off of. But uh, basically, Denzel Washington and his gang, they're there to rob him. So they, uh, you know, tie him up. They take his money. They, uh, or they take some of his money. They don't take all of it, but they take some of his money. They share it amongst themselves. They try to get Hoyt to take some money, but it's like Hoyt is is an ethical dude. And there he's already crossed a bunch of lines today already. Remember, this is just one day. He's already crossed a bunch of lines this day already. He's already done a bunch of stuff that he thought he'd never do. And this is kind of a line that he can't cross. It's like he can't do it. So he doesn't take the money. 
and they say, you know, okay, all right, uh, we understand. He's like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold it for you until you need it, because in Alonzo's mind, you know, Hoyt needs to take this money. <laughs> so, um, but it, it's here, and the reason I I explained the scene out is that he it's here that Hoyt makes a choice. This has gone far enough. He's like, all all the other stuff was against gangsters and criminals. And yeah, okay, they broke the rules a little bit in order to arrest some gangsters or whatever. But now they're they're just wilding out. They're staging uh they're they're staging a crime scene to make it look like they justifiably killed a suspect. But what actually happened is that they just plain out murdered a suspect. They murdered an innocent innocent man, basically. <laughs> um because at the time, even though Roger has a criminal past, at at this point in time, he's not engaged in criminal activity. He's just kind of living out his life in, until he gets to a point where he can go to the uh, the Philippines. Like everything that he did was in the past. He's he's done his time in jail. He, he hasn't done anything wrong apparently since he got out of jail. So he's in essence an innocent man. That that gets murdered by the police. Then they stage a crime scene to make it look like it was a justifiable homicide by police, including shooting a police officer. And it's way too much for Hoyt. This is this, and this is not something like if you want to break some into somebody into like bad cop territory, this is a little bit too much. Like you wanna you wanna uh start them off with some a little bit of misconduct before you bring him into the whole ass killing an innocent person and staging a crime scene you know and you know what's incredible about this movie is that it's so relevant today like i'm describing you in a movie about how some crooked cops staged a crime scene also it should be noted that this was um this movie was actually based on some actual, an actual police officer. I'll get into that in the trivia. But also, this movie is, it's like, it speaks to what's still happening. Like, I don't know if you remember, but there was an incident where, I can't remember the city, but a police car crashed into a business after hours. Like, so this is like after the business was closed or it was just closing up. And it's one of those businesses where the proprietor or the family that runs the business, they kind of live above the business. So it's kind of like an apartment slash business. So the police car crashed into it. And then the owner came, you know, and confronted a police officer. And he was like, what are you doing? What What's going on? What? what are you doing? What are you crazy? What What's wrong with you? And the police officer point their gun and they demand his identification. Like he did something wrong. And even now, like, I think the latest update is that the city is trying to charge him. They're, they're not charging him with a crime, but they're trying to make him pay for the damage that the police car, that the police car caused to his business. They want him to pay for it. They're saying that his building is going to be condemned if he doesn't pay for the damage that their police officers cause. So it's the corruption is still ongoing in that particular case. Like usually I feel like like when a body cam and the security videos come out, the shows that no, the the police wasn't swerving to get out of any, anybody's way or anything like that. The police just 
the 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 guy that came to confront the police officer, he didn't have a weapon. And I think one, it was two guys. One of them got arrested. Uh, the police officers were never attacked. None of the things that police said to happen, happened. So once they showed that nothing happened, that the police say that happens, the city is still backing up their officers over the civilians that they're supposed to protect. So the stuff is still going on. And it's just this sort of thing that's going, <laughs> that, this, that this movie is kind of shining a light on is uh, police corruption. So speaking of corruption and double cross, basically Alonzo convinces Hoyt that because it's like a Mexican standoff where Hoyt's pointing a gun at Alonzo and all this other kind of tense moments, great moments, a tense moment. Basically, Alonzo convinces Hoyt that, you know, he's not going to be able to do the right thing as he sees it because the police and ambulance are on their way. You have three decorated officers and they all agree on the story. And he's a rookie officer. He does not have a reputation established in order for anybody to take him seriously. So they're going to take these three veteran decorated officers word over his word. So he he doesn't, he has, he basically has to let them do what they were going to do because he doesn't have the clout to make things right. So, um, but later on, it's like, basically he's, Alonzo is basically trying to butter up Hoyt. He's like, you know, it's going to be all right. You know, you, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. And Hoyt, this is where I'm leading up to my favorite part. I felt like this setup was necessary because I call it, I call it Ethan's choice, but it's really Hoyt's choice. Hoyt finally says, like, when he gets back into the Alonzo's car and Alonzo is driving them to, uh, I guess, the next location, um, it's this is when Hoyt says, you know what, I, I'll be a beat cop. I'll do this. I'm, this is not something I want to get into. Right. So that that was Hoyt's choice. He And that that's one of my favorite part that he has made that choice. And it, it leads up to uh this basically leads up to the double cross because uh, the entire film, um, Alonzo was planning on uh, double crossing Hoyt. Uh, basically, uh, Alonzo was setting up Hoyt to take some sort of fall. So he brings um, he he brings Hoyt to this uh, bad neighborhood. This happens to be like a. Uh, um, a neighborhood that's kind of run by Mexican gangs and they go into this house. He, Alonzo claims that he's supposed to be giving some like a uh, stuff to help out the families that live here. So he's got like a blender and a CD player to help out the families or whatever. And, you know, Hoyt comes along and then, you know, and then Alonzo pretends that he's going to the bathroom, but Alonzo is leaving. I like the way how all that, all of that is set up. And then um, now Hoyt is there with like these three gang members and they're supposed to be playing cards, but they're really just waiting for Alonzo to leave so that they can murder Hoyt. <laughs> and uh, this, all these, so, but Hoyt's able to get out of that situation. Uh, they they happen to know the same people, <laughs> him and these Mexican gang members. It was, it's a wonderful scene. And uh, okay, I'm cheating. That's also one of my favorite parts. But this leads to the actual fam- the famous uh, scene, the, my favorite part, the famous scene that all this leads up to 
uh, the King Kong speech. And that's actually my favorite part. So <laughs> that was, and I think that's everyone's favorite part of this movie. It is part of the culture. You hear people, you don't really hear people kind of cite that speech or that line now in 2024 as much as they did closer to when the movie was released in 2001. But still, it's so... When somebody says, King Kong ain't got shit on me, you 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 know it. You know where that comes from. You can feel it in your chest. You, you know what that's about. <laughs> and so it's not like, it's not a reference that most people are going to misinterpret it or misunderstand. You know where that comes from. And so where he's facing off, it's Alonzo Harris, detective of the NY, I'm not NY, LAPD, uh, facing off against an entire bad neighborhood um, that is said that you need a platoon of officers in order to go into this neighborhood. He's in that neighborhood by himself and <laughs> facing off against everybody. And um, and, and he shot. Uh, he, he had gotten, uh, Hoyt had shot him earlier in a confrontation. Uh, but th- that that's a fantastic part. And um, I, I think Denzel's performance at that time, it was so gripping it that that it's the reason why most people remember this movie is because of that speech. I think a lesser actor would not be able to pull that off the way Denzel Washington pulled that off. That, that his mannerisms, that his facial expressions, like he he brought his entire self to that role, to that moment at that time and, and made it work. And it was, he, he really didn't have... I felt like that when he was, he's acting and then the crowd of people, they are also actors. But another way of looking at it is like, how, how much of that was acting? How much, of, how, I feel like they they were also, uh, they were also an audience. So like he was doing a live performance in front of an audience that was surrounding him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I imagine that in one of the takes after he did his speech, the, the extras clapped because it was that good. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But um, yeah, the King Kong speech, one of my favorite parts. So um, that is, that's it for uh, talking about my favorite part. It's time to move on to the next segment, the trivia top 10. So this is a top 10 trivia. Uh, most of this I got from IMDB. And uh, it, it's a lot more trivia than I expected. So let's get into it. This is probably the thing I'm about to read is probably my favorite thing, my favorite piece of trivia. So the line, King Kong ain't got shit on me, was ad-libbed by Denzel Washington. That's fantastic because that is the thing that people most remember about these movies. You got to remember actors aren't just bringing themselves and their ability to the movie. They're bringing their experiences. They're, They're bringing their life to the movie and... And when you can pull out something from your experience and 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 add it to the story, that's that's just great, right? So uh, I think there was a conversation where uh, somebody asked if there was if you had this other group of actors playing in this in a different movie, and you know just in general, like if you had if you watched a movie, you watched an adventure story, and it had a certain actors, and it's like, well, what if another group of actors played in that story, then it would be a completely different movie. 
I don't know if it would be a better movie or a worse movie, but it would be completely different because actors bring so much more than just the ability to emote and memorize lines. And I think with this particular ad lib by Denzel Washington that everybody remembers from the movie, I think it's demonstrated here. Next up, Denzel Washington has frequently said that Detective Alonzo Harris is his favorite character that he's played. Yeah, it, it looked like he was just chewing it up. He was just luxuriating, luxuriating in the role. During the scene, <laughs> during the scene when Jack plays cards with the Latino gangsters, director Antoine Fuqua gave certain instructions to the actors playing the gangsters without telling Ethan Hawke. This was done to further confuse them and add to the tension of the scene. We see this in movies time and time again, where, uh, you know, as, as good as actors are, nothing beats genuine, genuine expression or genuine reaction from the actor. <laughs> And some actors do it to themselves. Like uh, there are actors that they want to play a starving person. So they'll actually uh, go on a fast so they can experience hunger. Um, I think in seven, there was this dude. I think you remember this, this scene from seven. So uh, the police detective had to talk to this one dude and he was like hyperventilating and sweating and all this other kind of stuff. And, but that actor that was in that scene, even though it was a small scene and when it was, it was a small role in that scene, people remember that scene because the actor actually, I think he, he like, uh, I think he get, engaged in some kind of rapid breathing exercise or something to force himself to hyperventilate for that scene or whatever. But, you know, that's the thing where you have genuine reaction kind of adds certain, a, a certain amount of flavor to a scene. And everybody knows uh, this also plays out with uh at the end of Die Hard, I can't remember the actor's name, shame on me, but where the director let go, like at the end of the movie, uh, the, the actor's holding on to, I guess, the stuntman, and then the stuntman has to let go of the actor, and they're supposed to let go on one, two, three, drop, but <laughs> but they just dropped him without counting or something like that, and his expression was genuine. So, yeah, yeah, that's, there's something about that. Uh, actors do it to each other directors do it all the time it's fantastic um up next toby mcguire was seriously considered for the part of officer jake hoyt he even followed undercover narcotics officers in los angeles for two months and gained weight for the role he was dropped when ethan hawk fuqua's first choice was finally available for the shooting schedule so yeah um it would have been it would have been interesting because Toby Maguire has such a baby face. He looks so much more innocent than Ethan Hawke looks in this movie. So <laughs> I think that had they gotten Toby Maguire, it would have felt way more like he was a rookie than Ethan Hawke uh, in this movie. That that would have been an interesting change. T. Rogers, the founder of the Black Pea Stones Blood and Baldwin Village, also known as The Jungles in Los Angeles, was on set for all of the filming in his neighborhood and allowed producers to use his neighborhood in exchange for cast, mm, casting 
gang members. So what's interesting about this is that they kind of had to broker a deal with the gangs in order to shoot the movies the way they felt that it should be shot. So that's pretty interesting. When the movie came out, many viewers and critics were skeptical of the scenes where Jake Hoyt smokes marijuana laced with PCP and Alonzo's explanation of how a cop who didn't take drugs offered to him on the street would be ID'd as a police and murdered. David Ayer responded in an interview by holding up a highlighted section of the LAPD's rules and regulations. It stated that officers were allowed to use narcotics in very specific undercover situations and hewed closely to what Alonzo told Jake. So, I mean, Alonzo did it in the wrong way, but he didn't lie. <laughs> but like, this is what I said. You kind of got to ease somebody into that. You don't just bam, smoke this crack or I'm going to shoot you in the head type of thing. <laughs> but yeah, so it's basically, it's not fake. It's, it's a real thing that actually takes place. The license plate on Alonzo's car is ORP 967 or October Romeo Papa. Nine six seven. That's an officer. That's a nod to Officer Rafael Perez, the disgraced LAPD officer who was born in 1967 and on whom the character was based. To give to his character a much more authentic aspect, Denzel Washington decided to have the same look as Officer Perez. So when you see Denzel Washington in this movie, you're actually looking at uh, Officer Rafael Perez, who's disgraced. I don't know what he did. I didn't go to the research. I apologize. I guess Google him. I suppose he's Googleable. <laughs> but in order to let people know who they were referring to, they have the license plate, ORP 967. The coffee shop in the beginning of the movie, which was incidentally the first scene shot, is the same shop that was you that was used in Seven, in the scene where Morgan Freeman meets Gwyneth Paltrow to talk. In the window in both movies, the writing reads "Quality Cafe." The Quality Cafe is also used in Gone in sixty seconds, Ghost World, and Catch Me If You Can. When Alonzo is firing both his pistols at once, he holds one, the one in his right hand, upright, like regular, while his left hand is turned sideways. This is because both of the Smith & Wesson pistols he uses have right-hand ejector ports. Holding the left hand sideways causes the spent shells to eject straight down instead of sideways where they might strike Alonzo's hand, causing serious burns. So, I mean, you're not, it's not really supposed to pull out two guns and start firing double fisted anyway. But if you're going to, this would be the right way to do it so that you don't, uh, so that hot shells aren't hitting your hands. It's interesting that, um, so I was in... I was in uh, the military and, you know, we have to fire M16s and um, our weapons, the M16, they also eject on the right side. And this creates a problem for left handed 
fireworks because they don't have left-handed guns where where their brass would eject on the left side. So they just kind of got to eat it. If you're a left-handed person and you can't learn to use the fire accurately with your right hand, you when you learn when you fire on the on the left, you kind of have to protect yourself from the hot brass coming from the ejector port. That's because it, it that's on the right side of the gun. So a lot of people they get hit in the face with hot brass. Um they get uh there was one incident where a soldier was wearing a it was a barclava, kind of like a, a scarf around uh, around her neck. And so the hot round kind of bounced off that soldier's face and down the collar, the barclava kind of created a collar. So it bounced off their face and went down the barclava and kind of got into her clothes. So that was kind of gnarly. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's serious business. So um, he wasn't, so he's, you know, really, uh, most people really don't, they don't be uh, shooting with two guns because you can't be accurate firing two guns at once. But if you're going to do it, and if they're, if you can legitimately hit your targets firing both guns at the same time, then that's that's the proper way to do it without burning yourself. I think I spoke too much on that. Anyway, let's go to the, to the last one, the last thing that we got in the trivia. The fictional Hispanic street gang Hillside Trece is based on, and Trece is 13 in Spanish, that's based on many real-life Hispanic Sereño street gangs in Los Angeles area. A common feature of many Sereño street gangs is the number 13, or Trece, which corresponds with the letter M, and in Spanish is Le M, or M, M is Spanish for M. La M is the Mexican mafia, a prison gang that many Sereño street gangs have affiliation with. In preparing for his role as Smiley, New Zealand Moray actor Cliff Curtis spent time with real Hispanic gang members learning their day-to-day lives. And that's it for what we've got for the trivia. Let us switch over to the critics' thoughts. All right, we get to see what the critics' thoughts. This, um, the score was lower than I expected. The, so the critics' score in Rotten Tomatoes was 74%. The audience score was 89%. In Rotten Tomatoes on IMDb is 7.7 out of 10. Most interesting. So let's get into it. Lisa Alspector from the Chicago Reader wrote, If he makes it through the trial by fire and a blandly twisting plot with no meaningful revelations or substantial themes, Hawk will get a promotion, but there's nothing in it for us. Oh my goodness. I don't know what this person is saying. I I totally disagree with this. And I think it comes from, uh, I I think it comes from this notion I don't know. I don't. I don't know where they're coming from because I didn't read the whole review. I'm just reading the snippet that they posted on IMDb. And I, how does how does this person not get it? How does this person not get the themes of the movie? It's like the strong themes of morality. Like what what will it take to take a good man and turn him crooked? Oh, oh, what? Uh, it's it's almost like what George Lucas tried to do with uh, Star Wars. The uh, what's that? The the Phantom Menace. That's kind of the story that he wanted to tell with the first trilogy. 
um, how, how, how you turn a good cop bad. Uh, it has those themes in it. And, uh, the, the themes of like, um, uh, uh, the consequences for bad actions. So I didn't mention this, uh, when I was talking about the movie, but part of the, the the whole crux of the movie is that, and like they kind of tease out the the backstory because the backstory is the most important part of this movie. So they kind of tease out the backstory that Alonzo had did something bad. You don't know what he did was bad. It involved a trip that he made to Las Vegas and involved a Russian and it involves the Russian mafia. And throughout the film, they kind of teased out what had happened. So what had happened was by the end of the film, you find out Alonzo had went to Las Vegas, probably on vacation or something. He got into an argument with a Russian, but he didn't know who this Russian was. And he beat this Russian and I think he killed that Russian. He beat a Russian to death, killed him to death, or whatever. Uh, Russian's dead. And what he didn't know was that the person that he killed was a very important person in the, in the Russian mafia. So he gets back to Los Angeles. Now he has to find a way. Like, the, Ruff, the Russian mafia is not pleased with his action. So they're like, all right, um, what you did was uh, disrespectful and unsanctioned. So... Uh, we are going to kill you, but if you pay us a million dollars, we are not going to kill you. So this is the impetus for everything that Alonzo does in this movie. He um, he he robs Macy Gray forty thousand dollars to bribe the three wise men to get uh, an opportunity to steal money from some guy that he knows has a nest egg of four million dollars and they take a million of that four million dollars and then they kill him <laughs> so how much of that money were they really going to take and he was going to take his share um of a million dollars and pay off the russian mafia but he has like the day of training day he he has to pay them off that night he or that day before midnight he has to pay off the russian mafia and the reason that he doesn't get to do that is because um, his plan to murder Jake Hoyt fails and Jake is able to delay him enough. He's able to delay Alonzo enough that Alonzo, uh, and then that, and then Alonzo loses the money. So now uh, the mafia catches up with uh, Alonzo Harris and, and kills him on the streets of Los Angeles. So it's the backstory and it kind of leads to the final act of the film of, of, Alonzo getting killed. So, uh, and this is kind of brewing in the background the entire time. I, I feel like it's complex. I don't feel like this is simple. I think it has uh, a bunch of great scenes. Like, I, it's not blending. I don't understand what this person is saying. Moving right along. Uh, Alonzo, Man oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm saying the wrong name. Andrew Manning from Radio Free Entertainment wrote, Denzel Washington delivers a remarkable performance in this enthralling and unique tale of a corrupt cop completely transforming himself into an unexpected, unexpectedly imposing threat. And that is correct. He does that every single time. <laughs> it, it almost feels like he's unassuming, but it's like uh, when it, I feel like whenever he's in an action movie, he he does present himself as an un, unexpected, unexpectedly imposing threat. Uh, whether he's playing a good guy or a bad guy, he did the same thing in like American Gangster. He was kind of that way in um, the Book of Eli. But uh, yeah, but I think 
probably the best at it here. It's, it's the first time we see this version of Denzel Washington, and he he's the best at it right here as far as being a threat, just by being present. Up next is Rob Gonzalez. I hope I said that right. From Rob's Movie Vault, he wrote, This isn't a serious movie, despite Denzel Washington in full eruption and giving his calloused lines more weight and authority than they deserve. And I disagree. I mean, um, I think this is a serious movie. I don't, I don't, I don't get why people would think this. Maybe they don't think that police would act this way. And I think that's where this comes from. It's like we <laughs> when you grow up in neighborhoods and you don't trust the police. You feel like this movie is telling the absolute truth, nothing but the truth. I hope you God. But if you're living in a place where um, where you don't have a problem with corrupt police officers, then this movie might feel like fantasy. So I don't, and that's the the feeling that I get from the couple of negative reviews that I've written or that that I've read regarding this movie. And so finally, we have Tom Grayless. I'm not sure if I pronounced correctly. He's from RTE, Ireland, and there's probably a proper way to say it. I apologize. Anyway, while most critics have chosen to highlight Washington's performance as the standout, it would be unfair not to mention Ethan Hawke, who plays the rookie Hoyt with a perfect patina of guileless enthusiasm. And that is correct. I, I just like that. You know, he's really eager to put his best foot forward to to prove that he's a great police officer, that he deserves this chance to be in this elite unit and that he's going to show his supervisor, you know, how dedicated he is to the job. And he crosses a number of personal lines in order to do what is necessary to be in this unit. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, he there's a choice he has to make and he makes it. So, yeah, and I think that Ethan Hawke pulls that off wonderfully. Finally, Training Day is, as of this recording, streaming on Netflix. That's it for today. In a fortnight, we'll be back with another exciting movie from yesteryear. It's a film many consider to be the greatest time travel story of all time. So join me as I welcome our special guests, Christopher J. from the Saturday Morning Podcast as we take a look back at Back to the Future. You can follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Blue Sky, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and now YouTube at Backlick Cinema. If you post on any of these platforms, I'll try to respond. Don't forget that you can contact us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. One last time, if you like this show, then please help us grow by spreading the word about Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Believe me, it matters. I've been Zoe Richardson. Be safe, share a movie from yesteryear with your family, hug your loved ones, and if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.